get this stuff together. How's everyone doing? Good. Does anyone know? Did who won between the Steelers and the Ravens? Ravens. What was the score? Praise the Lord. Uh, okay, all right, good deal. That was who I wanted to win, so I'm happy about that. Me and the worship leader made a $2 bet as to who was going to win, and I picked the right team. Um, it's because the prophetic gift is on today, I guess. Um, all right, uh, well, um, normally before I start my message, I always have a testimony of some kind, um, so... Uh, I just uh, sort of wanted to share a testimony um, of uh, something that actually happened in the spring um, um, with uh, on a treasure hunt. Um, just uh, it was in the spring on a treasure hunt, and uh, but actually, um, we'll actually back back go back a long time and talk about two years ago. Um, Two years ago, two and a half years ago, it was uh, it was 2008. So I guess that's three years ago. Is it three? It was a s- December of 2008. Maybe it was. F- I don't. I don't even remember. It was a while ago, and um, and um, the Lord. I was driving in my car, and I had just been at this meeting, um, just this uh, random sort of prayer meeting that I got invited to where um, the Lord had revealed to me my life calling. Um, not necessarily, you know, the title of it, but more just the function of it. And I got a lot of revelation about my life calling it that night. And um, the, uh, the car ride back, my, uh, my heart started to talk to the Lord um, just about the implications on my life that my life calling was going to have. And um, for some reason, and you know, when, whenever you're praying... Um, you're not necessarily sure why you say what you say, but you just sort of say it, you know, and your heart just sort of starts to have a conversation before God. And um, for some reason, um, I said, well, God, what about my wife? And um, it was interesting because the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, she will be a prophet. And um, I was like, I was like, what? And, um, and, um, and I was like afraid. And then, and then, Two, and then a little bit later, the Lord said, are you willing to wait? And then, and then in my mind's eye, it was as if I had this visionary experience where I saw about two, two and a half years in the future in the calendar, and I just felt that the Lord wanted me to wait till that time period, and then in that time period would be the, the moment for me to find my spouse. And so I was just, that was the first time anything like that had really ever happened to me. And so I was a little bit freaked out about it. I really didn't know what to do about it. Um, I was just really honestly weirded out. Um, so fast forward about two, two and a half years later, which was this, um, this January, this, this spring, um, I, uh, was already friends with Genoa, and, um, we, uh, we'd been friends, we'd gone on trips together, and, um, I felt, um, I was praying one night, and, um, and uh, this, just a, a note before I sort of say what happened is, is that I'm not the type of person who um, believes that you necessarily need the Holy Spirit's voice to tell you who to marry. That's, that's just not the way I think. I just think that the wisest, it's actually wiser 
um, if you actually sort of search the scriptures as to what the scripture says a good spouse is, use your mind to figure out what's the best girl. If she loves Jesus and she loves the Holy Spirit, she loves to serve God, and you like her, then that's what, that was always my credentials for going after her. So that's what I did all the time. And um, so those are, those are generally what I think are anybody I talk to that's always talks to me about, you know, finding the right spouse. That's what I say that you should do. You know, you, you shouldn't seek God for a spouse simply because, I mean, you should, but you should. And if he wants to show you spiritually, you should allow him to. But the reason why that's dangerous is because whenever there's a revelation like that that happens, that people can get a soul tied to a person that's actually unnecessary and as, is actually detrimental before the time, like, I've had so many stories about God telling someone they're going to marry him and then it just doesn't happen and they find out they have this deep soulish connection to this person because their whole time they were, you know, saying, I'm going to marry this. So they started dreaming about what it would be like with this person and it ended up being a very bad thing. Um, so that being said, um, I, was, I was really deep in the presence of God one night in the prayer chapel and um, the inner audible voice of God told me, date Jinwa. And, and I said, and I was afraid. Like, I, honestly, in that moment, I was just like, what the heck was that? Like, it scared me. And, like, for an hour and a half, I was just, like, scared. And I was just like, because at that time, like, we and Jim were friends, and she was sort of in the friend zone, you know? Like, it was just the way I saw her. She was my friend. I was her friend. And that's the way we related to each other. And then the Lord said, date Genoa. And I was like, oh, okay. So I asked the pastor if he thought that that was a good thing. And he knew Genoa. And he said that, you know, she's a good person. And, you know, all, she checked out on all the other lists. So, you know, she loved God. She loved serving God. She had a good heart for God. And all these things um, came to pass. And um, all these things were great. And so it was just like, well, God, I'll just go ahead and date her. You didn't tell me to marry her yet. So, um, so. That's how I started dating Genoa, you know. Long story, we could tell. There's a longer version, but so we started dating that way. Um, and uh, which is funny because the first date we ever went on was to the magic walk. Well, but, uh, but that was her idea. And when Adam heard about it, he said, you're taking your Chinese girlfriend to the magic walk. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, but she wanted to go there. So anyway, anyway. Anyway, so that's a fast forward. We've been dating for a week. And um, we go on a treasure hunt, and um, the treasure hunt's me, Genoa, Raymond, and was, it, was Stephanie there? Were you there? It was, uh, it was us three, because it was like two days before their wedding, and Stephanie was really busy um, with the, the dress and preparing for the wedding stuff. Anyway, so um, Genoa had received some revelation beforehand and, and, um, about where we should go, so we went there. And so while we were going there... Um, there was a woman, it was in Kroger, and she was walking up the aisle, and, um, and I looked at her, and I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to talk to her. So, um, we started talking to her a little bit, and we started, you know, you know, just sort of telling, hey, you know, we're Christians, we're just going out here praying for people, is there anything you need prayer for, do you want prayer? And before she could say anything, I said, do you have problems in your stomach? And, um, and she said, I do. And, um, and so I said, oh, that's, that stinks. Can we pray for that, you know? And um, so she said, yeah. And so we prayed for her stomach. And um, after we got left, Jinwa starts talking to her. And um, I'm like sort of observing the conversation out of the corner of my eye. 
And um, she, says, uh, she says, is your husband's name John? And uh, the, woman's like, the woman's like, say again? And she said, is your husband's name John? And she said, yes. She said, how did you know that? Are you stalking me? And she starts to freak out. And then Jen was like, no, 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 no. I'm Chinese. Like, this isn't, you know, this, I'm not stalking you. Like, and uh, we told him, we said, we told him, we said, um, you know, this, this, uh, this is God revealing to us the secrets of your life because he loves you. And then she pulled out this whole entire list of stuff that God had told her. God had also told her that she had a heart problem. She she had some heart problems. And the, the main revelation that God had told her about it was that she was also God's wife. She was John wife's and she was God's wife. And, and she had just met the Lord uh, maybe six months earlier. And so we were able just to just show her the love of God. And, and it really got her attention that God would give so many specific details about a specific person simply because God just wanted to know that, that he loved her. And, and she was really blessed mildly afraid and um and i was freaked out anyway so i decided after that point i was like well i I don't know if i'd call her a prophet but you know that was a that was pretty cool you know thing that happened um was interesting because um jenwa always gets on me whenever i tell some of her stories that that happen um in public because uh she always basically says you know like you always make me appear to be more gifted or whatever than I am. And, uh, and she says that when you do that, that puts pressure on me, you know, to sort of live up to a standard that I necessarily can't live up to. So though the Lord told me, you know, those words, prophet or whatever, she's, she's not a prophet. She's just someone who knows God, loves God, and tries to hear from God. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So no pressure. But, but it's, ac- it's actually one of our... Uh, yeah, it's one of, actually one of our big family values is that, you know, we just, uh, we never, we, we try, we try to never, um, we try to never um, create this, this hype aura around us or about us or that, that we're actually more gifted than we are. You know, if, if like, you know, if you walk around and you start to say, oh man, like, I'm a prophet of the Most High God. Every single word I get's right. It's dead on. I've heard people say that before. And then you walk with them and it's just like, dude, you're so hyped. Like, are you kidding me? Like, like, I mean, it's cool you get some words right and some words are good, but, you know, like, what are you trying to say, you know? And, like, when, when you hype yourself up like that, you actually create something inside of your heart that's like, it's, it creates a pressure for you to pro- perform up to a standard that you don't actually have grace to perform at. It's interesting, like, and actually it says it in Galatians 6, like, it's something that, that Paul talked about. Um, let's see here. Didn't necessarily want to talk about this, I just think it's sort of important. Galatians chapter 6, I believe it's verse 2. Verse 3, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each of us examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Basically, it's saying this, is that however you, however you are, however anointed you are, however gifted you are, actually act like it. And then that will actually make it easier for you 
to take risks. It'll make it easier for you to live a lifestyle of risk because if you act like you're the, the Jesus Christ movie star and you're more just like the Jesus Cross, Jesus Christ school teacher, then just be the school teacher. Don't act like the movie star. And then when you make a mistake, it's not a big deal. You know, I found that generally speaking, when it comes to supernatural outreach, there's two common fears that people have to overcome. The first fear is the fear of what strangers, absolutely people that don't know you are going to think about you. The second fear is what your friends are going to think about you that are with you. And if you don't hype yourself up to be some sort of spiritual giant, then you have erased one fear. It's amazing. Then you've only got one fear to deal with. Which isn't that bad. You know, it's one less fear. Um, anyway, that's, not, that's sort of not really what I wanted to talk about. But um, what, uh, what I want to talk about is um, governing your heart um, and making your heart good. And... Um, it's something that I really felt um, when, when they asked me to speak about, you know, um, they asked me to speak about loving God's word. The, the one thing that I could really just think was just loving, gov- using the word of God to govern your heart. And um, about a year ago, the Lord started to give me some revelation about some of the stuff that was going on in my heart and some of the stuff that he was really putting his finger on and some of the stuff that he was doing, and he did it through a a series of dreams. Um, The first dream, um, sort of easy to interpret it. You should test your interpreting skills right now, interpreting the first dream. But the first dream, there was, I was alone in a house, and there was a snake that would keep coming up and coming out from the hidden place and trying to attack me and bite me, and then I'd see it and I'd try to kill it, but then it would go hide. And so it'd come up, and, and I'd try to kill it, and come out and try to kill it. And it was really good at hiding. And um, so it's a pretty easy one to interpret. Obviously, there was a hidden place in my heart that um, was trying to kill me. It was uh, something that was a heart issue that was actually trying to end up being my destruction. Um, and then the second dream that I had was, um, was I had this dream where I actually I tore my heart out of my chest... And I offered it up to God as a sacrifice offering. And it was such an interesting dream. It was something that really baffled me because I was just like, what? You know, like, and so it was just something that I really just would meditate on. And, and there were diff- various scriptures that were coming alive during that time that were really beginning to sort of enlighten my understanding to, to, as to what actually God was trying to say to me. And the first scripture is found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 through 19. Um, I'll just go ahead and read it. The context of it is that the Pharisees are talking to Jesus about why his disciples don't wash their hands before you eat. They say, you know, because they had these, um, these sort of these, these um, traditions that, you know, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, then you're going to become unclean. Um, and... While washing your hands before you eat is a very good thing to do. You know, I rec- highly recommend it, especially during flu season. Um, what Jesus says, and we'll pick it up, this is what Jesus says about it in verse 16. Um, so Jesus said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart 
proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And so it was just, it was something that was, I was beginning to realize and God was beginning to teach me that defilement is something that occurs within the secret places of your heart and that the secret places of your heart can become defiled. And see, now, in order to understand the heart, let's, let's just give it a definition, because for a while I always thought that the heart was the ethereal place that was, like, untouchable, that was somehow saved, but, you know, like, you can't really touch, and it's just like, well, I know my heart's good, but, you know, every, every other part of me is rotten. Really, biblically speaking, the heart talks about it in Ephesians 17, the eyes of the heart. The heart is the place from which you see and you believe. It's, it's your perspective on life. It's, it's seeing things in the way you perceive things, and it's the seat of your emotions. It's very similar to the soul. The heart and the soul are a little bit different, but they're, they're sort of intermixed. There's a lot of intermixing elements in them. And it's, it's the part of a man where he perceives things. It's the place where he thinks. It's the place where he feels emotion. The heart, it's, it's the place where you have your, your dreams, it's the place where, you, it's, it's, it, when you close your eyes, it's that place. There's your heart. It's your, it's the own place it's given to you. Alright. Alright, so the, the, then the Lord um, started to really, he opened up another scripture, um, and this one's in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 35. And I'll read this one as well. Jesus says, 33 through 35, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So what's Jesus revealing here? He's, he's crossing parables and he's connecting this parable of the tree and he's connecting it with the heart and the mouth. So the tree and the fruit, the heart and the mouth. So basically he's saying this, is that what you say comes from what you believe and from what you think. What you feel, what you believe, what you think is actually what is to govern what, what you say. And that's, that's the wellspring of it, okay? So, and saying make the tree good, he's actually revealing that each person has the power within, the, the for, within their will. Each person has been given the ability to govern the condition of their heart through the exercise of their will. I know this is a lot of thinking, but think about it. God has, the heart is like an atmosphere. It's like a, it's like a field. And it's something that you can allow to become defiled, or it's something that you cannot allow to become defiled. You can choose to allow my heart to become bad. Therefore, bad things will go from it. I'll naturally, 
I'll naturally think hateful, hateful thoughts. I'll naturally think lustful things. I'll naturally think blasphemous things. I'll naturally do hateful things. I'll naturally say blasphemous things. Or you could do the other way. Take care of it by the exercise of your will, which is faith exercising the will, and naturally think good thoughts, naturally do good things, naturally think great, you know, all those things. Um, and see, now, the, the idea of a good heart, which talks about Matthew chapter 12, and a pure heart, which... Um, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5 is actually, in my opinion, pretty interchangeable things. Um, you know, Matthew chapter 5, one of the Beatitudes, the great promises, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, basically, Jesus is revealing that the human, the, the human, the power of the free will gives us the ability to make our heart good. All right, or to make our heart pure. You know, so the question now that comes is, is what does a pure heart and what does a good heart look like? Is that a good question? Because in Matthew 15, Jesus only talks about what a good heart's not. What a defiled heart. He just basically talks the negative and says, what's the defiled heart look like? Well, the defiled heart's got adultery, it's got lust in it, it's got blasphemy, it's got slander, it's got jealousy, it's got anger, murder. All those horrible things that are in the heart of a bad person. Well, it's just like, well, what's a good person's heart look like? Well, obviously a good person's heart looks like Jesus' heart. And Jesus' heart is, is something, what, this is, I believe that the key to Jesus' pure heart, the key to Jesus' good heart, was that he saw people for as they, actu- as they in, were in reality as opposed to how they appeared. He saw people according to how they were in reality rather than how they actually appeared. Now, I know that's like a mysterious saying, but I did that on purpose to set up the next scripture. That's what you call good teaching. Um, all right, I lost my spot. What was I talking about? Okay, yeah, okay, so well, that, that'll lead us into John chapter 8. All right, John chapter 8. All right, uh... John chapter 8, verse 31. Verse 31 through 32. Let me read it here. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And if you look in the Hebrew, the Greek, if you look in the Greek, that word truth actually means reality. It's a very interesting thing because, you know, it actually means reality. So, who here has seen The Matrix? I think everyone probably seen The Matrix. Pretty famous movie. I think it came out when I was in ele- late elementary, early middle school. And I was in a um, youth group in er- late elementary, early middle school. And they loved The Matrix, dude, because it was, like, cool for us. And, and it had all these, all, a lot of biblical symbolism and a lot of biblical truth in it. So we watched it. We Bible studies on it. It was great. But, and, and I love it. And the, the thing is, and the reason why, is because it actually illustrates this point extremely well. Um, I'd say that the greatest, there's a prison of the, there's a prison of the body. The prison of the body is being in prison, okay, right? Um, there's, 
and and then there's a pri- and I, I can't really think of any other prisons. Is there any? There's a prison of the body, and then there's a prison of the mind or a prison of the heart. And the matrix really speaks about the prison of the heart. It's that you're you're living according to something that actually isn't reality, and that's governing your experience. Um. And Jesus, when he gives this, when he gives these verses in John chapter eight, he begins. He, he's revealing that you are bound to seeing things not actually as they are in reality, but you're bound to seeing them through a matrix that your life experiences, people in your past, and even your culture has given to you. Your life experience, people in your past, your culture, and even, I would say, Satan has given to you. Um, and, and so then the, the question then is, is, Cliff, how do I know if I'm in a prison of my mind? Well, the answer is really easy. Do you believe what God says about Do you believe what God says? Do you believe what God says about you? Okay, well, what does God say about me? Well, God says that I'm extremely good looking. He says that I'm awesome. He says that I was uniquely, masterfully made to be put into the world to make it a better place. Do you believe those three things? If you don't, you're in a prison of the mind. And that prison will manifest itself in many ways. And in many ways, you'll call it shame. You could call it gender confusion. You could call it whatever you want to. But you see things through the lenses of your past experiences rather than through the lenses of reality. And true reality is defined by God's word and what God has said and not by your experiences and not by our culture. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. Like, I was actually watching this documentary. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but uh, just run with me about it. And I heard that the, the, the attraction, uh, what, what, what makes a woman attractive today, obviously... Um, is part of our culture, our culture determines that, has been carefully constructed by various um, people, advertisers, who are looking to create an image that will cause people to want to be like that image and therefore sell their products. Fashion magazines, certain types of different things have caused people to desire to be something, to look like something, and it therefore sells their products. So, the image of what is defined as beautiful according to our culture is this narrow little thingy that like five people out of a thousand fit into. Everyone else is considered unattractive. What's the point? God says that you're extremely good looking. Why? Because he made you. Ain't no father that doesn't think his child's beautiful, you know. My children are going to be amazingly good looking. I'm excited about it. I'm probably going to look at them all the time. Tell them how beautiful they are. Because it's the truth. My sister used to have this poster up on her wall. It was by this guy named Andy Warhol. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him. I never really watched his paintings. I don't even know what he really does. But it was cool. It was like a cool little painting. It, had this cool little, it was trendy. It was in New York City. It was awesome. Um, anyway, it said, it said if, if, if everyone isn't beautiful, then no one is. If everyone isn't beautiful than no one is. And it's so amazing because I don't even know if this guy knows the Lord at all. But he really captured the heart of God. And it's amazing how an artist was able to capture the heart of God because it's as if God gave him the lenses through which he can see the creation that God made to be beautiful, capture it, and then recreate it for other people because 
God has made everyone in his own image, and God has made everyone amazing. All right. Let's see here. I got a little bit lost there. All right. All right. So I said that mysterious statement about the difference between seeing reality and seeing things as the way they appear. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe, talks about the difference between looking that which is temporal and that which is unseen, which is eternal. Because the word of God, the voice of God, is eternal. I have this little thing on my car that I look at every day because it constantly renews my mind. And it says, man's opinions will fade with them. Because it's true. You know, everyone might think you're a loser, but if you're obeying God and you're pleasing him, then you're awesome. That's the truth. You know, if everyone in the world thinks you're cool, but God says, man, this is a disobedient man and he's running from me, then I wouldn't want to be there. I'd much rather be the Jesus who everyone eventually ends up hanging him on a cross and calling him this, making fun of him, spitting on him, putting crown of thorn on his head, beating him with whips. But God's like, man, I'm so pleased with you. Then for, you know, to be this, uh, I don't know, fill in the blank, someone who everyone likes, but, you know, God is just far from. All right. So, the next question is, is, you know, obviously, you know, we're all in some degree of living according to a lie, um, or at least seeing according to a lie, because at least some days of the week we might struggle with self-image, at least some days of the week we might struggle with shame, and at least some days of the week we might struggle with anger towards our brother. Okay, well, then the next question is, is how do we break free of the matrix? How do we break free of the prison of our mind? And it's, it's really... It's, um, it's really something that I've really been experiencing and practicing a lot in my life, and it's called confession of the truth. Um, you know, it talks about in Ephesians 6 that the word of God is, is a sword through which we can, you know, push away the, the attacks of the enemy. And um, it, it really is something that's good because, for example, you know, I'll just, I'll just do like an example of um, battling with a, a mindset that's, that's false. Okay, an example is, okay, you know, you go into a room and then you start, to, you start to see a certain type of person who maybe that type of person was like, you know, that type of person in the past um, really mistreated you. You know, it's like, I don't know, say you're a girl and I don't want to put myself in girl shoes. Um, say, say you're a dude. It'd just be too weird for me to think. I'm sorry. All right, let me change, let's change the subject. All right. Keep the subject, change the example. All right, say, say, um, say you were really picked on by a certain type of kid in high school, and then you're around that kid again, and you start to feel shame. What's the point? Because of that experience that happened to you when you were younger, you're now living, you're now battling with a lie, a temporary um, external circumstantial thing that tries to make you define something as being true when it actually isn't. Or say you're, the, say you're the type of person and you struggle with finding self-worth for yourself. You struggle with thinking, you know, whatever, whatever. And the reason why is because your mother mistreated you. What's the point? The point is, is that everything that your mother thought about you was a lie. Because God thinks better things about you. And the way to overcome that is to confess what God thinks. You can confess Psalm 139. I am fearfully and wonderfully made and wonderful are His works and my soul knows it very well. 
It's it's a way. It's it's not a one. It's not a one day um, overcoming of a problem. It's not like you confess at one time and it's gone. It's going to be a battle, but it's a it's a step out of the prison. It's I, my my belief is that confession of truth is the willful. Um, it's the willful dismissal of a lie and the willful adherence to a truth. Like, for example, something that I deal with a lot, you know, is just like this just spirit of judgment. Like, you know, you start to, start to look at someone and you start to tear them apart. You know how that goes. It's just a bad thing. Um, and, you know, you all look at this guy. He's blah, blah, blah. And, I start, and for a while, I started to realize I'm not thinking about him the way God wants me to think about him. And so then I realized, I said, God, I'm experiencing right now, I'm experiencing an emotion, I'm experiencing a thought, and I'm experiencing something that actually seems like it's me, but it's not because it's the voice of the devil, because he's the father of lies, and he's trying to frame my mind to think about someone that is opposite and in disagreement to the way that God thinks about him. And so in that moment, I'll just confess something like that. And I'll say, but reality is, is that every man who's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. I don't care if I can't feel it right now. It's still true. And you just confess that. And then for a little while, I'll have a little bit of relief. And it, in that moment, you might not, have won the ba- might not have won the battle. You might not have won the war. But you've taken an offensive swing where by the authority of your will, you've said no to a lie and you've said yes to truth. Because the definition of a pure heart is someone who sees reality for what it really is. Imagine if we saw reality for what it really is. We had a perfect view of God. We knew exactly who he was. I mean, that's who Jesus was. He walked in incredible miracles. Why? Because he knew God said that there's always enough. He knew God said that I'm the healer, so he walked in it. He knew God said all these things, so he walked in it. And then he also saw people that way. That's how he was able to walk in unhypocritical love. It's like people can get this value where I want to love people, but then the very next moment you're judging this person in your heart. And that is actually something that is a tremendous hindrance to love is judgment in your heart. Because then, you know, you might smile at him and say a nice thing to him. But in reality, in your heart, you're far from him. You're tearing him apart. And then actually real defilement comes from the heart. Eventually what you think about them will come out. If you don't say it with your lips, you'll display it with your actions. You'll just do something where it's just understood. So that's, that is the, that is, that's pretty much the word that I had. Um, that confession and truth... Number one, recognizing a lie for a lie. And we know it's a lie if God doesn't say it. Bill Johnson has this statement where he says, I can't afford to have a thought in my head that's not his. That's the point. The reason why is because if you do, then you've agreed with a lie, either if it's about you, if it's about God, or if it's about a person that will either hinder you from loving God, believing God, believing in yourself, believing in another person, or loving another person. All those things, it it's comes in the realm of the battle of truth versus a lie. My goal is, my dream is, is that I'll be able to walk with my friends and into random rooms and be able to look at every single person and think they're awesome. 
I'll be able to think about myself and think I'm awesome. That shame will have literally no hold over me. And then I'll be able to think about God, that he's an amazing God, and he's capable of doing everything in this moment. And that is what a pure heart looks like. So much more than not ordering a pornographic movie. Well, that's bad. But anyway, okay. That's my rant. I'm pretty much done. Um, I just, and I think the only step that I really have is confession of the truth is, is our job to taking a step to disagreeing with the lies of the enemy confessing it, recognizing that what I'm going through is a lying emotion, recognizing that what I'm going through is a lying thought, and then by your will, choosing to speak truth even if you don't have eyes to see it, and just asking God, God, give me eyes to see this. God, give me eyes to see that my boss, he was in Christ, he's a Christian, but, okay, I don't want to get, God, that my boss is an amazing, great man, even if he was rude to me that day. I don't want to begin to form a framework about this person that's actually in disagreement with truth. Because then what will happen? He was rude to me? Oh, okay, well, I think he's a rude person. Next time he does anything different to me, he turns from rude to being a butthole. Next time he does that, he turns from being a butthole to being a heretic, and he's a horrible person, he's a godless man, and blah, 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 blah. What does God think about him? God says he's a new creation. If you don't tell it to his face because you're afraid of him, then you'll tell it to everyone else. And if you don't say anything, you just build up this well of anger. It's just the truth. You have to take care of your heart. All right, I'm saying the same thing over and over again. All right, ministry time. What I want to do is let's get in groups of twos. Um,